Hello, and welcome to the AgTech So What podcast. Emerging technologies are rapidly changing the global agricultural industry, and we believe that this revolution is only getting started. But there's still too much hype out there and too big of a disconnect between ag and ag tech. So on this show, we try to bridge that gap. In each episode, we bring you the story of a different innovator in agriculture and try to find the place where ag and tech meet. I'm your host, Sarah Nolette. Welcome back to the Ag Tech So What podcast. Today, my guest is Carl Lippert. Carl is a dairy farmer and a Ag Tech founder, and maybe one of the only people who has a degree in dairy science and computer science. Uh, and Carl is building a Ag Tech company called Fedex. Um, that is a wrap-up of a product he's been building for a while called Feed Manager. Uh, and he has been selected to pitch at the Farmers Business Network Farmer to Farmer conference uh, here coming up very soon. So really exciting time to be talking to Carl about the future of FedEx and talking to him about technology adoption more broadly and what he's seen in Europe and in the U.S. Uh, and what it's like to be one of the, the people that really understands the industry uh, building a product um, as opposed to a tech person in building a product from the outside, um, someone who is both a uh, deeply immersed in computer science and writing software and, and building products, as well as uh, really knows the ins and outs of what it's like to uh, run a dairy farm. So I love this conversation with Carl, and I hope you do too. Hey, Carl, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So where in the world are you today? I am in Fargo, North Dakota, so, you know, a little ways from home, but uh, yeah, Fargo. <laughs> I've, I've heard a bit about Fargo um, as a little kind of ag tech hub. Is there, is there kind of ag tech stuff going on there, or what, what, um, what brings you there as well? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly why I'm here. So there happens to be, you know, a growing kind of cluster here, I would say, because um, I got to tell you, I never thought I'd say, oh, I'm excited to go to Fargo, and that's actually, uh, that's actually the truth. And um, <laughs> So yeah, there's um, there's Emerging Prairie, which is like building an autonomous farm. There's just a couple companies in the area. It, it's definitely growing, yeah. Interesting. Um, I would not have expected that either, but in the last year, I've probably heard three or four people mention ag tech things happening in Fargo, and so now it's, um, yeah, surprisingly on my list of places to go in the near term, it sounds like. Um, so... Sure. <laughs> Tell me, so so you said you're there for ag tech stuff as well. Um, what what are you doing there? Tell me a bit about that. Um, so in a few days, um, in the middle of next week, uh, the main thing is a uh, cultivate conference. So it's kind of like a it's like a one day, super fast, kind of like a TEDx type thing um, for ag technology. So basically, they're really trying to you know build out the network, and so they're inviting lots of farmers, lots of people that are uh, building ag technology. Um, just anyone interested in the space to kind of like build this network in Fargo. Um, and it's all pushed by Emerging Prairie, which is basically, you know, I guess it's kind of a regional development group as far as I can uh, describe it. But, you know, it has, uh, because of their location, a really strong focus on ag tech. And so their biggest thing is, uh, like I slightly mentioned before, this, uh, this, this autonomous farm and kind of accelerator stuff they're trying to build going forward. But they're, they're just, just getting started with, like, they just hired a guy named Brian. Uh, recently to start really pushing this. So it's all very new, um, but uh, it's definitely happening. 
Interesting. And so are you going there as, excuse me, as a farmer, as a technology builder, as a onlooker? What's what, how come you're in town? Uh, I guess I'm here as a technology builder, but I am always still a producer. So I get to be on all the lists because I get to be on the farmer list and I get to be on the technologist list. Um, But I'm definitely here to be a a technologist. So I'm here to speak about FedEx and what we're building and, uh, you know, who our customers are and how we can help dairy farmers. Cool. So tell me a little bit about um, FeedX. And I tried to find the website. So you have to send me the URL or maybe there isn't one. Um, But yeah, tell me about FeedX and um, yeah, kind of the backstory. Like why did you decide to start building building technology and and specifically building this technology? Yeah, so that's hilarious. So, oh, we're in stealth. No, we're not in stealth. Um, But we are, uh, we actually, yeah, for the website, uh, yeah, you can find it. Okay. Um, so long. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you why. So basically, um, so a little backstory, feed manager is the name of the, uh, the product I've been working on for a couple of years and building on my farm. And there's a guy named Ryan, uh, who is my co-founder in, uh, in FedEx. Um, so the company that like owns, uh, no feed, feed manager is now just a product of FedEx because, um, we're working, uh, on a whole set of problems, but, Anyways, he was building a marketplace for feed up in New York. I was building software for helping dairy farmers feed their cows in Wisconsin. We both had kind of like the same long-term vision, uh, so we came together with it. It's called FeedX. Um, so FeedX, we might have had a little bit too much of, uh, let's say, musky and Kool-Aid. So it's definitely, yeah, that that's definitely kind of part of the naming, but <laughs> it's short for FeedX. It, it's short for Feed Exchange, which is like the rebranding for uh, how he was selling feed in New York. And... Um, so yeah, you can't find FedEx yet because we came up with the name like a month ago and we haven't uh, uh, finished all the rebranding of the products and stuff to uh, give it a home. Uh, you know, we own the URL, but it's nothing, nothing there yet. So you shouldn't have been able to find it. Okay, good. Well, that makes me feel better. I did find Feed Manager and then I got all excited to download the app, but then I couldn't download the app. So, you, so it's, it's been a tease trying, trying to find, to dig into this stuff. Um, but, but go back for me, Carl, and tell me about why, because Feed Manager looks pretty um, well designed and built and, and there's some real stuff there. Um, so take me back to why did you decide to start building an, an app um, for, for, for Feed? Yeah, so I mean, I've been talking to it about a lot the last few days. So really, I guess it comes down to uh, like 2013, I think I basically started, decided to start building it. Um, I had gone and done an internship for the largest a uh, software company in the dairy management space will say that they're on forever. You know, they're translated in like five languages or something. They're huge. Uh, but I didn't see a lot of improvement happening there, and that really kind of bummed me out. Um, and then I did like an internship, or I mean, I did, a, I did a study abroad researching like feed tech adoption and all this stuff. And I realized that like nothing was happening fast enough. And I guess I probably had fed too many cows as a kid and kind of like uh, dreamed about, you know, fully automating it or something like that. Um, so that's probably some of the context, but so, Wait, yeah, I started building. Let me, let me stop you there. I want to know about the tech adoption. So you, you studied that, um, like specifically tech adoption overseas. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I never knew going to college, I was going to do a study abroad necessarily. Um, but my brother did one and he worked just stuck in France the whole time. And so he's like, you should really, really try to find something that you love to do and find a way to convince the school to let you not be in one place for it the whole time. 
I'm like, okay. So I took that advice and I ran with it. So basically I set up an independent research project, which uh, in reality is, hey, write 90 pages on what you did um, and describe to us why it's educational uh, in, in for the college. And yeah, so I did what was uh, the evaluation of technology adoption and feeding systems in Europe to compare it against uh, in the U.S., specifically around near-infrared technology, um, which is just a, you know, it's a, it's not a new technology, but it's a way that we measure like the quality of feed and how we do ration formulation and stuff in the industry. Yep. And so, yeah, I just traveled, you know, I, I asked anyone I could, anyone at a sister company in the U S I'd get like, you know, warm intro. And I just, uh, went to a whole bunch of farms in Germany. Um, Eastern Germany is so different than say the rest of Europe, uh, worked on some farms, milking Normandy cows, like in an in organic context in France. So just all over as many farms as I could go to, um, there and just kind of looking at what they were doing compared to what we were doing. And it was a hugely different market. Um, you know, they're very subsidized or, well, supply management. Um, they had a quota at the time. So, you know, learned a whole bunch about, you know, the, the larger aspects of technology adoption, the economics, like large scale industry economics that, you know, either push adoption or reduce it because margins exist or they don't. Or, you know, in Germany, they were paying like, almost 100% for people to put in robots. So like they had robots like crazy. Um, so yeah, all of that, that was, uh, that was super cool. Wow. So I know this is an oversimplification um, and living in Australia, I get asked questions like which country is winning? Um, and, and that always seems kind of silly, but I'm curious, is there a trend? Like is, are there certain countries that are just clearly way ahead in terms of technology in this space than others? Or is it more does it vary by farm size or by production system? Um, who, how would you kind of characterize who's um, most likely to be adopting technology? Well, I'm going to take that question, maybe spin it a little bit. Um, when it comes to winning, I mean, the purpose of technology is to solve a goal. Um, so I would, I would definitely say that, you know, here in the United States, because uh, a lack of supply management, you know, a huge density and a long-term, uh, you know, agricultural, uh, history, um, we really, you know, I really think we set the bar really high for what, you know, being efficient, high quality producer of agriculture products is. Um, but that doesn't mean we have like the highest level of technology adoption in maybe a more physical sense. Like we have lots of, you know, how we manage things. The whole organizations built inside of the United States are, you know, super uh, impressive. Whereas over in, say, Europe, where they have had for long term and, you know, Canada still uh, supply management, yes, they've had more margins because they've had a guaranteed milk price. Um, and I'm just talking with dairy the most, but it's just the best. I, it, I know the most about it. But uh, so they have a lot more like, let's say, what most people consider as like tech adoption. You know, they have physical products on their farm, robots. You know, Germany leads the world in like uh, methane digesters for green, green electricity off of, you know, waste from dairy farms. Like they definitely, you go over there. They have a lot more automation and a lot more actual physical tech products adopted. Um, and that's just because the economics have been different and the price of labor is drastically more and, you know, how the government has supported them uh, to do these things, like having a good market for green energy uh, for methane digesters. So, you know, there's not a, a win. I would say we have the most efficient agricultural system here in the United States. Um, which is the goal of the technology, you know, the most sustainable, sufficient system. Um, but there are more uh, actual physical products um, penetrated yes. into the market and say like Europe. 
Yep. No, I think that's, I mean, it's a really helpful clarification and definitely appreciate you putting me in my, in my place there. I think, um, it, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely meant that you answered that really well. Um, I'm, I'm always interested because I, I do think people talk about tech adoption as like, it's better to have more tech. And just as you said, that's not necessarily true. Like in some cases it is, in some cases it is, it isn't. And it's all about kind of the production efficiency and quality and, and sustainability and bottom line. So um, yeah, really interesting. I've um, been thinking about tech adoption a lot recently and the market factors just play so much of a role. Like are there subsidies for these kinds of systems or um, is our labor prices high or do we have a surplus of working capital um, because of a, a price so we can invest in kind of trying things for a while. So um, I think it's a really yeah interesting and fascinating space. Did you see anything anywhere um, on your travels that you were like, we need to get this on the farm? Um, like we should do this or buy this or um, anything that you kind of changed because of what you saw? Well, you know, um, there's lots of things I saw that I was totally amazed by because a uh, whole different word, like, you know, Eastern, Eastern Germany uh, wasn't always... Uh, you know, a democracy like it is today. Uh, there was a time in its history where it was uh, had a different government, and you know, uh, they built really large farms just to suit the needs of people. And so, yeah, like um, I want 100% automated feeding systems. You know, my dream is that uh, farmers can have automation to the level where maybe they have an improvement in life quality. All right, and so. In Eastern Germany, they have like 100% automated feeding systems for thousands of cows. So these are super large-scale dairies, but these were built in like, I don't know, the 60s or 70s, like a very long time ago. And um, they did it in a style similar to like mining. So it's really big and ugly and high infrastructure costs. But yeah, like I definitely uh, was jealous because all you need is push one button and they're doing a very efficient job, maybe not capitally efficient, but uh, implementation efficient job of feeding thousands of animals automatically in a very complex fashion. And I, I do want to bring that uh, really to every person that feeds animals uh, across the world. And uh, until we can make it profitable and simple and reduce like the infrastructure costs of implementing it, that's not going to happen. So that's kind of a long-term thing is to get to that level of automation. Yep. Interesting. I, um, I'll be really interested to see kind of how that evolves. And I imagine that's shaped your thinking like that kind of seeing the potential of the technology did that kind of spur you to build some of it or were you kind of always on the path like you studied computer science um as i understand it so were you always on the path to kind of build some technology or did those travels help you say like i gotta take this into my own hands and, and actually start making some of these changes myself yeah you know like the lack of progress like i mentioned before a little bit you know um if, if I was taught anything as a child, like maybe, maybe, my, maybe this lesson is, is backfiring for my family a little bit, but the, the concept of not waiting for anything, like, you know, you can't wait for someone else to solve your problems, you know, don't wait for, you know, just anything, you know, that's a very uh, nice rule you can use in small situations, big situations, life context. So not waiting for someone to solve your problems. And, you know, we definitely have these problems in my dairy farm, right? Like, so I'm solving problems for myself, um, the not waiting context. And actually the biggest way to describe it probably is um, I try to like weigh what I do based on creation versus consumption. It's kind of the two buckets I live in. And I'm a huge consumer of technology. And I just, you know, I'm just like ravenous. I, I use it all. Uh, I spend too much money on early adopter products. Um, 
And uh, so I'm a huge consumer of technology, and so I kind of like to balance it out. And I couldn't be this excited about technology and not be part of the creation of it. Um, so I think it always is going to happen. I can't say exactly when. You know, I was I didn't have like the lemonade stand necessarily, like going to build a, a business when I was a kid. But I definitely was like the don't throw away the computer. I want to pull it apart and see how it works. Um, even though I couldn't put it back together because like I completely destroyed it pulling it apart. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I think I think that answers that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you said a few things there that I want to ask you about. So, um, at some point here, I'm going to ask you your favorite technology product, so you can get ready for that for that question. I'm interested in um, why. Like, do you think it's true more generally in agriculture that some of the big companies that have been building technology, whether it's herd management systems or some of the bigger um, hardware systems, are like not going to be able to innovate in a way that um, someone like yourself who's studied computer science and wants to build apps and is a, um, you know, grew up pulling apart computers. Um, like is, is it that the big companies can't do it and we're seeing that kind of traditional disruption and tech startups are going to come in or is there something about agriculture that's different? Like, do you think it's a kind of, kind of the same as every other industry that big companies are going to be slow and not be able to innovate and startups are going to come in or um, yeah, is there something different about ag? And, and I guess the other piece of that that you mentioned is kind of scratching your own itch, which I love. And I, you know, do you think that gives you an advantage because you really know the problems or maybe a disadvantage because you're, you run the risk of just solving for your own, like the problems on your own farm versus something that, you know, thousands of users would want. Um, yeah, those are, those are two kind of things I'd love for you to reflect on. Man, that is like uh, five really big questions, probably. So I'll try to. So <laughs> kind of the answer is a little bit of all of it. Um, so you know, I do. Um, I always, I always wanted many people to be trying things as possible as once. So like, I believe that like just as a, as an industry or whatever, um, it's best um, if we kind of are running in all directions all at once. Sometimes, like we can make sure that we're not um, focusing on the right things by trying lots of different ideas. So that includes you know, finding ways for more startups to exist, um, more medium-sized legacy businesses to maybe get in technology. This includes, you know, the large corporates, uh, the multinationals, uh, you know, building innovation pipelines. So um, in that case, they're mostly, you know, outsourcing their innovation and buying it. Um, so we need all these things to happen um, because we truly just have a problem with total number of things being tried. Um, you know, it's massively ramped up over the, say, the last five years, but I think we're nowhere near penetration because of how large and how, you know, worldwide, obviously, the agriculture market is. Um, I think, you know, I um, maybe I've read too much dystopian fiction or maybe uh, just because I am a small company uh, working with, you know, as a farmer working with only big fish, you know, John Deere, um, big companies that, uh, you know, I can't ever pretend to have, a, have leverage against in an argument or in a business uh, uh, environment. Um, I definitely believe that we are going to see some of these really big, long-standing companies not be able to move it. So definitely disruptive. Um, I guess I've been over, mostly vocal about on the internet about like John Deere specifically because I think um, you know the momentum of just having a company like John Deere where they build you know really complex, you know, super awesome actually um, physical products. The momentum of like that product line and that organization over the years. And how much they do is going to be why they have trouble, um, you know, navigating, say, swarm robotics, stuff like uh, Small Robot Co. in the UK or like Dot up in Canada. All these companies are building fully autonomous, tabless, 
more swarm-like robotics. I think they have a real big problem, um, you know, mapping themselves to the new reality. Kind of like you might you might be able to compare it to like Tesla to Ford or something like building everything in house and having a full integration to create awesome products versus you know having thousands and thousands of people in your supply chain that all just kind of tack things together. So you're gonna see the disruption. Um, I guess uh, I hope. I'm uh, moving on to like the second part of the question. I hope, you know, like, yeah, the, the, the optimism in me is saying that, yeah, I'm more suited to do this because I have a, you know, practical sense of what farmers need. And I have a very practical mindset because you only do things that, uh, you know, you only do mission critical things on farms. You know, we don't sit around depending on how many consultants we want to hire or, you know, uh, things that aren't going to solve problems right now you know that's not affordable um so i hope that helps me but i definitely uh, you know am aware that hey um especially when it comes to say working in kind of startup life you know how much can i integrate say the business model of taking on financing you know which is something that's super important to do to you know make things move fast to improve the technology faster um but if you spend in my case like 28 years uh, living in a low margin industry that you know takes all capital as debt and cash flow is king like can you move to you know can, can I internalize and, and functionally manage the oh take on a bunch of money uh, to hire people and actually not be profitable uh, in a sense for you know 10 years maybe right um, so it does that does worry me that I may you know I have hoped that my egg context is useful for building things, um, but I do understand that there's risks involved with it. Yeah. Um, are there and any parts of that question I didn't? I forget. No. I, I think I got them. <laughs> I, I have a disease of asking complex questions. <laughs> I do that all the time, um, and it's not very helpful, especially for <laughs> for guests on a podcast. So sorry about that, and well done. You get an A plus um, for answering all parts of the question. Um, is your co-founder uh, also kind of from the ag industry, or does he come more from the tech side? Oh, he's definitely from the egg industry. So I'm, I, I would be uh, what, you know, they would call me the technical co-founder because I know how to write code. Uh, people seem to think that's magic or something. Um, but uh, no, so he is a uh, nutritionist historically. So he actually was, uh, he wasn't uh, raised on a farm necessarily, but he started getting farm jobs when he was younger, got really into it. Even though his family thought it was a bad idea to get an egg because they're like, yeah, you know, egg's not a very uh, good place to make money. Um, but he was just excited about it. So he ended up being like a consultant and nutritionist. Uh, he managed a few dairies. So, you know, he has, you know, an amazing set of skills related to, you know, what dairy cows need, you know, what the feed industry works like. You know, I work with feed vendors and I, I buy feed and I make feed and all these things on the farm side. And he really has a really excellent, uh, you know, say mental model built around, you know, how the distribution channels work, you know, where the where the margins exist, you know, where there's opportunities to help farmers, um, where there's opportunities to help vendors, you know, how we can really make the whole feed supply chain and the way commerce works around animal agriculture works better. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I love it. I love the um, ambition of the vision and I love the domain expertise. I see, 
as I'm sure you do, lots of ag companies that don't have the ag expertise, that don't have that deep um, sense of how the industry works and, and what the problems are. So I think that's really cool and exciting. How, given all the stuff you want to take on there and, and are taking on, how have you figured out kind of where to start? Because um, especially marketplaces are tough, like you need both sides and there's a bunch of different things that people will want to exchange. Like how did you figure out what to build first or where to start? Um, and yeah, kind of what, what is that? What are you going to market with first? Yeah, so I can answer what we're going to market with first. We have uh, the basics of the seed marketplace I've been running, and we have the, uh, the you know, the, app, the seed manager application uh, that you will be able to download very shortly. We, we raked it back for a month just to do a migration on the back end, and uh, we were just working with a handful of, like, uh, alpha and beta farmers. So that's why you can't download it. But anyways, um, <laughs> I wouldn't the real have been answer very to the question useful. is... I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been very useful to give you any feedback anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's... Uh, the onboarding experience is better done uh, in person at the moment. But anyways, um, so, you know, I have to say the answer is we haven't figured it all out, right? We have a whole lot of ideas that need to be tested out. We're working, you know, very, very hard and trying to nail it down better this year. Uh, we are going to have a strong focus on uh, building products for vendors. So there's, we think there's lots of opportunity left. Like it seems, um, you know, the running joke, like, if you look at movies that come out of Hollywood, is like, don't get into commodities. Like, it's a giant waste of time. There's no margins. It's basically just moving things around and everyone acting like maybe occasionally they make money. Um, but when it comes to, say, like, logistics and contracting and how kind of more holistically uh, the industry works, how feed gets from place to place, how it's purchased, who purchases it, um, spot orders versus contracting, bag feeds versus bulk feeds, um, where it gets mixed, you know, this whole thing. Um, we think that we have a lot of opportunity to actually help vendors um, uh, improve how their operations work. And so we're, we're actually really focusing on, you know, we have, we have a dairy fire product and we want, uh, we, have, we have the feed management software we want. So we can roll that on the part right now. So we'll still be doing this. So we're really focusing on building software for vendors and for farmers. And that's kind of the way we're looking at uh, building up the network a little bit, uh, finding opportunities for both of them, um, like actually their front offices and their in-house processes. Um, maybe you've heard of OpenTable. They have this uh, phrase I've heard them use before. It was come for the tools, stay for the network. And we're definitely kind of going down that uh, path right now. And uh, But the real the real answer is we don't know. We, we, uh, we don't know the best way to do this. <laughs> Yeah. Um, really interesting and uh, love love how you're thinking about it. It's it's really cool um, to talk to people who like get the, like I said, kind of get the industry so deeply, but speak in tech lingo. Like I, <laughs> I think you're rare. Were you rare in your, um, like in, in studying computer science, but also having a degree in dairy science? Like were you, were there a lot of comp sci kids in, um, in your college degree that also came from the ag side of things? And do you, do you work with a lot of people who are kind of straddling both of these worlds or are you rare in that sense? Oh, I've, I've always been an, uh, a very individual human being, uh, would probably be how my family would, my family would put it. Uh, yeah, no, when I went and did computer science, even though like I did it in Wisconsin at a, at a, at a fairly uh, local college, like these people are all familiar with ag just because of the density in my state. But yeah, no, I, I was obviously the only one from a farm uh, or had worked on farms. Uh, 
you know, when I did that. So yeah, I guess the answer is just like you put it. I've, I've always been uh, different. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I love it. And are your parents supportive of you like going down this path and building technology or would they rather you spend more time on the farm? How, what's their view on all this? Yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, yeah, my family is supportive. Um, even if like, it, it is a bit messy. So, you know, I, I am a part owner in our family farm. I've been helping run it full time for the last five years since I left uh, River Falls for my dairy science degree. Um, I like to joke that uh, the problem with raising strong, independent, ambitious children is that you have to live with them. And so uh, <laughs> they can have a they kind of have to deal with that side effect. Uh, that that that's how they raise both me and my brother. Um, so you know, yeah, they're they're supportive. You know, they're they're excited about it. But when it comes to the practical implementation of that, you know, it uh, it's not always great. But yeah, I'm in Fargo, and you know, we're we're trying to combine uh, soybeans right now, and that's kind of uh, part of my domain that I have historically been managing on the farm. So you know, migrating in all senses is difficult. So they're supportive, but uh, on the practical sense, uh, all farm decisions are made on a hundred year time scale. Uh, so it's hard to uh, to steer sometimes. Yeah, sure. It's I I wonder too about the kind of different. Like I, I think farms are um, good examples of agile in the sense of you try something and then you change it if it doesn't work. But you do that over many years, and and that's kind of the timescale in which things change. Whereas something like software is changing on the order of you know days or weeks as you're testing and learning things. Do you see that parallel, or is that kind of a naive? parallel to draw that that there is this kind of sense of try and see what works and then fix it um in in both of those worlds yeah i mean i think um i think like any organization like the uh the the, the big pivots um i don't think we can do big pivots as fast as maybe an organization uh, that's outside of egg but there's always little little um iterations going on at all times like let's say how you feed your calves or some ingredient you feed your cows or uh how your uh, your reproductive management works in in your dairy herd. Um, both things, like we we can test those things out and try new things, and the scale is usually months. Um, but when it comes to say a new way of producing, let's say becoming an organic farmer, I mean that takes four or five years. Um, let's say you wanted to start a value added supply chain by going straight to consumer, um, that that takes years and years, right? And capital and years and years to get to the starting line, not to get to the finish line. So you know. There is an iteration cycle. It is slower. Um, when it comes to on-farm practices and like hope for people building ag tech products that are they're fast to adopt, um, maybe low barrier to entry products. Like those things can those things can happen fast. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So tell me about where you're at with FedEx. Um, you're obviously speaking about it this week, and um, some information's public and and more soon. Are you guys gonna like? Are you raising money? Are you building out the team? Are you um, like kind of what's the status of the company and and what are the next kind of milestones you're hoping to hit? Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I'm talking about it this week. Um, that'll be really easy because I mean, it's eight minutes and it's not a, it's not it's not for money. Uh, but uh, so yeah, we we are. Um, focus really on figuring out what we think is best for exactly what we're building, um, what funding needs to look like. So yeah, we're definitely looking for funding, um, but we're kind of still, um, we, we're lucky enough to got picked to pitch to the 3,000 farmer members of uh, Farmers Business Network in December. So really focused on executing that, doing that well, um, you know, having the best version of all of our live demos ready for that. And then we're thinking, all right, um, you know, 
that'll be kind of like the end of the holiday season. It might be easier to start working on it then. And we'll have, you know, neither of us have ever raised money before. You know, we haven't uh, done that. So we're definitely, you know, we're planning on raising money uh, starting soon. But figuring out exactly what that looks like in a practical sense, implementing it, uh, what our valuation is, uh, how much we're asking for, uh, and and how that affects our decision making going forward is something we're trying to figure out in the next like month here. Yeah, lots to juggle, but congratulations on the FBN thing. That's going to be really um, exciting. And uh, are are you nervous? Like, do you get nervous to speak on stage? Are you nervous even just for the um, for this week and and for that event? Will you um, are are you do you love doing it? Or um, yeah, how does that make you feel? You know, I always try to do things I'm scared of, and uh, I'm definitely scared. So um, I don't. Uh, yeah, I get. I definitely get shaky when I do uh, public speaking. But I'm hoping that uh, you know more iterations. I'm less scared, so I've done some public speaking. Like it's not the end of the world. I'm not. I'm not worried about fainting or anything like that. But I'm definitely a little nervous. You know, it's a big audience, and uh, it's something I care about more than maybe anything I've spoken about before. So there's a little bit of pressure, um, but I'm excited. Awesome. I feel the same way. I get nervous for sure. And especially when you care about it, you get more nervous, even though it should, I think I'm always like, why don't I like talking about this? Or why aren't I better at talking about this? Cause I care so much. And it's like, well, I probably am better, but because I care, I get more nervous and maybe that makes it worse. I don't know. And then go around the, the spiral of, <laughs> of worrying about that instead of just getting out there and doing it. So I'm, I'm sure you'll be great. Will your talk be, um, public. I'd love to link to it in the, in the episode um, and definitely check it out. Will it be available somewhere? So the one from Fargo, I'm actually not sure if they, if they record them. I was actually thinking of recording it myself just so I could use it for some training material for, uh, for December. Uh, so if it's available, we'll, we'll get you a link so it can be in the show notes. Cool. Love it. Um, awesome, Carl. Well, super exciting. I, um, I'm really looking forward to hearing kind of how all of this evolves. It sounds like you have a big, like, do you, imagine that FedEx and is your goal to have it become like a big tech company that is that you're working on full time and you know has thousands of users and many employees Um, or do you see it kind of staying small with a small team like what's what's the end state that you're you're hoping for if, if you get to pick yeah so we uh we definitely are are going big on this one um cool so like Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was just saying, uh, I guess I was, what I was saying is like for, uh, from building like the farmer based software on my farm, you know, for years and years, I guess, I guess really why we've decided to go big with it is when you sit down and actually ask yourself like, uh, you know, ground truth questions. Uh, like if you're sitting there for years writing software, not getting too far, you just keep asking yourself like, how can I help? Like, how can I actually help? Um, this user? How can I actually help this farmer? And when it comes down to it, when you're writing software, like, well, actually the biggest, the biggest problem is, you know, some of the existing um, maybe market dynamics or lack of transparency, uh, stuff like that, that we can't solve by basically just writing applications that help people, you know, manage the on-farm management and efficacy. So it has, it has to be big. It has to, uh, it, ha- it has to be uh, a big solution for a big problem. 
How fun. Very exciting. I um, <clears throat> One of our guests that came on last year, I think um, Doug Fitch from AgWorld, he um, had, I forget if he said it on the podcast or not, but I, I know I've heard him say it before that there's kind of only going to be three businesses in, in the future. And one of those is going to be logistics. Like no matter how the world changes, we're still going to need to move stuff from A to B. And so companies that are helping to do that better and solve that problem and make those connections are, are going to exist and, and do well in the world. Um, and it sounds like you guys are targeting that space, which I think will be a, a good one to be in. I, I tend to agree with that. Do you imagine um, expanding outside of just dairy and doing other kinds of livestock? Like, do you know what that next, um, that next market would be? Yeah, well, definitely. So we, um, you know, we're, you know, we are kind of branded as dairy at the moment, um, but we're definitely, you know, animal agriculture has a core set of problems that are very similar. Certain uh, industry stacks are different. Poultry and, and swine are, are just a very different place to live in. The production type is different. Um, we're focusing on all animal agriculture. We're starting with dairy because we know the most about it, but actually, like, already um, part of this kind of bootstrapping this company, since we don't have any funding, is just... Uh, People have been asking to buy feed from the marketplace that doesn't say exists. So we like would go and find it and find a price we could get them for it and actually fulfill the order. Um, so we've we've already uh, you know done stuff outside of dairy um, over the last year, uh, selling in the marketplace, kind of uh, uh, you know being a vendor ourselves to kind of bootstrap the network and to kind of create some cash flows to actually be in business. So yeah, we're going outside of dairy. Um, what that looks like and how that evolves, um, you know, depends on the, uh, the level of opportunity and just, uh, who wants to be involved. Cool. Um, what have you learned so far in doing this? Like what surprised you about building a, a tech company, uh, that, that you maybe didn't, didn't expect? Um, I would say I have a great, great appreciation uh, that most uh, farmers might miss out on on people that are, say, knowledge workers. <laughs> There's a popular idea in, in farming that say, like, oh, if you don't, say, milk your own cows or do physical repetitive tasks uh, for a living, that you're not really working. And I got to tell you, um, I can be more exhausted and have more, like, actual physical ailments from, say, programming uh, for a week than I can farming sometimes. So, you know, just... Um, you know, understanding how hard all work is and uh, building software is hard, even if it's, you know, completely in the world of bits. Um, it is a demanding, difficult task and it can take a very long time. And when something like, say, a button is a little bit laggy, uh, you might not understand, but that, that might be a two-week project, right? So um, <laughs> I, have a gr I have a great appreciation for building things and uh, how difficult that can be. That's so funny. My, um, the, the one all nighter I pulled in college was definitely on a computer science assignment and it was probably because some button didn't click or something. And I have just been there so frustrated and physically exhausted, um, when software doesn't work. So I, I hear you. Um, it's funny. My, so my boyfriend works in sales and he, I used to think like he would just have meetings all day and, and he'd come home and, and I'd be like, why, you know, you didn't, you didn't build anything today. Like you, how are you really working? You didn't like get anything done. Um, and he's like, oh, yeah, I was like selling stuff and had meetings and I was managing people. And, and I was sort of, um, <laughs> like, but you didn't create anything. Like, where's your, the thing you made? Um, and now that I have to work in sales and, um, 
like have lots of meetings and manage people, I'm like, oh, this is exhausting. Like I really need to apologize to him because I thought that unless you were making something, even if it was knowledge or, you know, code or, or um, writing that, you know, it wasn't real work and uh, it's definitely real work. So I love that <laughs> coming to appreciate how hard something is um, once you've done it. And from the outside, it seems like it's way easy and it's, it's totally not. Yeah, and I've been I've been trying to the, the word I've been using is I'm trying to move from programming to people right now because I have what I would consider a foundational layer built, um, but from all my problems right now are about uh, you know resourcing up, finding people uh, to be involved, finding people that might be a, a key hire, finding people that you know have been dying this for for ages and want want to want to help make the movement. So building you know a movement or building uh, an organization, uh, those are real tangible things albeit non-physical, right? So it yeah. works. What, um, what kind of people are you looking for? Like, do you, are you hiring developers or um, other co-founders? Like, what's, who, who are you looking for next to build out the team? So, yeah, I mean, we, uh, so yeah, a, a bit of everything. So we are definitely looking for developers. And, you, you know, um, you mentioned before, you know, we have no, um, I'm, I'm actually very excited to have, say, uh, another uh, couple of developers that have no egg context because it, you know, it does, uh, you know, level out the team a bit. Um, you know, you don't have to be historically a farmer and that would be the most impossible uh, thing to solve for finding, Oh, we want programmers from dairy farms. Like, yeah, good luck. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, pe people that have, uh, you know, a long-term uh, ha have seen that there are, you know, there, there's a lot of people that work that don't say maybe love how their job works or, you know, there's just lots of big problems that they never had a solution to. Um, so we're looking for people that are like nutritionists or consultants, uh, people inside of the industry that have, you know, themselves seen change but not had the opportunity to make it. So we're looking for people on both sides of the board. Um, and a lot of that will be happening uh, early next year, very early next year. Very exciting. Well, um, I will keep my eyes out for anyone that I think would be a good fit. Um, I did say, and, and this will be my last question maybe for you, Carl, um, that I would ask you about your favorite technology product that you use. So what's your, yeah, like if you had to pick your, it's funny, like I got asked this question when I was interviewing, this was, I don't know, 10 years ago for um, various product management jobs. It would be like one of those, you know, Google or Microsoft interview questions of like, what's your favorite piece of technology and then dissect it and then explain it to a two-year-old. And um, so I won't, <laughs> I won't go that in depth for you, but what's your, um, what's your favorite piece of, of technology or favorite product um, that you use or, or have used? Yeah, gosh, that is, that is, I got to tell you, that is super, super difficult because there's so many ways you can judge a product. Um, gosh. Well, Don't worry. It's not an interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you know, oddly enough, like, I'm, I'm going to go straight, uh, straight nerd. Like, I was a Google Glass Explorer. Like, I paid 1500 bucks to develop for kit. And I wore it, even though it was super socially awkward for like <laughs> six months, nine months. And I actually broke a pair and had to get another pair. I luckily, I didn't have to pay for that. Um, but uh, I, I, I can't stop buying face-worn computing devices because I do really believe in that future where, you know, like I don't have to look at, you know, when my phone buzzes and I have to dig it out of my pocket. Like that gets so old, especially farming. I'm always dirty, like covered in grease or like I have both hands loaded, but like yet I know I'm like on ambulatory service for like 15 employees sometimes, right? Like not like they're dying, but like they need help instantly kind of thing sometimes. So 
yeah, like Google Glass was actually really awesome. You, you know, even though the implementation was kludgy and there was major problems with it, but face face form computers, yeah, I'm kind of jacked. That is the best answer ever, and I'm imagining um, it, it's funny. Like, there's all those ads of, um, I think John Deere has some, and others of like the future farmer, and they're like, you, they've got some kind of face computer and a, you know, a tablet or a touchscreen in the air somewhere, and they're, um, you know, running the farm off of virtual reality and the whole thing. But um, you are, I think, the first prototype of that with, with Google Ass on the dairy farm. I'm, I'm giggling imagining you out there um, doing that. Um, was it? Did it work? Like, were you? Um, did, did you find a use case with the Google Glass that you liked? You were like, oh, this is better than if I didn't have it or still too early? Well, well the biggest thing is like, um, I mean, it's definitely too early. Um, I used it. It was super awesome as a communication device and like for things uh, off farm to like driving, like amazing for navigation, just having like a slightly translucent map of what you're doing, just kind of like taking up 5% of uh, your like point of view. I was excellent. And, you know, if I would have maybe spent a bunch of time uh, doing superfluous, superfluous things that won't make a difference, I could have definitely, I, I still have the Google Glass. I could definitely integrate it with Speed Manager where I could see ingredient weights and work through them while feeding, which would be super excellent. Um, I, I don't think there'll be a huge um, egg context for it, actually, because I think we'll get to the point where, um you know, it's for machine to machine communication and we mostly, uh, you know, are managing how we want to operate, not specifically like this goes there and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I didn't like, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's a great personal tool and all forms of improved communication are just good for business. Right. So it might be a fun demo. Like I could see that as like at a booth at a trade show or something connected to, to FedEx, like not as core to the product, but as a kind of, hey, come check out this cool thing that you wouldn't otherwise get to try and learn a bit more about our product. I think that might be fun. I see people doing that with kind of virtual reality or other demo things. Um, so that that might be a fun one. Yeah, but I I, uh, I won't lie. I, I, I talk a bit of trash to people that get a little too gimmicky, so I probably won't do that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I like it. Cool. Well, um, Carl, good luck in, in Fargo. Good luck with the talk. Um, definitely good luck at um, the FBN pitch here in, in a couple weeks. Um, I'm really excited to see where FedEx goes. Where can people learn more about um, you or what you're doing? What, what would you point them to um, if they're interested in, in learning more and following the, the journey? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're excited about uh, feed and all that stuff, you should definitely come find me on Twitter. That's where I'm most available. So at Carl Lippert, I'm sure she'll put in the show notes for you. Um, actually, I'm at Carl Lippert everywhere. So uh, everything from Snapchat, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, it's really easy to find me. Um, in the future, uh, feedx.io uh, will be where we are uh, hosting the feed exchange. So yeah, if you hit me up on Twitter now and in the future, feedx.io will be the home to learn more. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Carl, and good luck um, with the TEDx talk. Hey, thanks so much. It was, it was great to be on. Thank you for joining us on another episode of AgTech So What? You can stay up to date with the latest episodes and news at agtechsowhat.com. And as always, if you have any feedback or other guests to recommend, we'd love to hear from you just hop on the website and leave us a comment or send us a message. Finally, if you like what you're hearing, and we hope you do, please share the podcast with a friend or leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Catch you next time.